Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Grab your app. We're in a, we are in week five of our message series. We're calling the message series, Who Cares? Say that with me. Who cares? And what we're learning in this series, we are exploring some of the values personified in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Uh, one of the things I really accepted uh, as, a, and as an assignment in my own life over the last several years is I take our church and tune our church towards some of the particular actions, the particular thoughts, the particular activities that Jesus modeled for us when he walked on the face of the earth as a way for us to get to know him better. And then it prepares our heart a little bit more as we think about Easter being two years, two weeks away. (laughs) Just seeing if you're with me, okay? And so um, that's what we're doing right now uh, in this series. We are exploring the compassion of Jesus revealed and modeled for us in the life of Christ. And uh, I've, we have been using as a framework in this series uh, a theme verse that, that Paul uh, wrote. And he wrote it uh, in the second letter that he wrote to the churches in Rome, in Corinth. Now, interestingly, for those of you who might uh, like history like I do, scholars think he actually wrote three letters. And, but we're missing one of the letters. It's lost in history. So we only have two. And in his second letter, uh, we used as a theme verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We're going to put it on the screen. I want us to read it out loud. We're going to read it like we mean it, and we're going to read it right now. Ready? Go. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now, let me just say this real quickly, a word about these theme verses. Think about this. We do about uh, eight to 10 series a year that we work on with our teaching team. So we take this work very, very seriously. I think it's one of the most important things uh, that I do. And um, a few years ago, I felt like, you know, what is a way that I can help us learn more about God and sort of trim it down so that maybe there's some deeper concepts, some things that we can get our minds and hearts around. And I came up with this idea of framing every series around a key verse of scripture. So now think with me about this. If you travel with us for a year, you're going to get eight, nine, or 10 verses of scripture that'll help you see God more clearly. So I don't want to just drive by these verses. So we take this very seriously. So here's Paul. He's making an observation, and here's what he said. First of all, he calls God, we've been saying this almost every week, the father of compassion. Say that with me, the father of compassion. And here's what he means by that. He is the creator of compassion. So if you're receiving compassion in any area of your life, somebody has sort of manifested compassion or grace to you, that is God saying to you, I see you. I see you, I see your circumstance. Not only does Paul write that God is the father of compassion, then he says this, he's the God of what? All comfort. The God of all comfort. So so any comfort that you receive, 
That is God manifesting his comfort to you. That's an amen right there, right? And then thirdly, he says, not only is, is he the God of all comfort, but he comforts us in all of our troubles. So he uses another superlative. So we're never going to run into a problem and we take it to God and, and God's going to go, I haven't thought about that one. Let me, let me get back to you on that one. That's new. That's not what he's going to say. He comforts us in all our troubles. We're not going to overwhelm God. And, and, but we're keying in on this last one, which is this, where Paul writes, so that we can comfort others. See, there's a reciprocal nature of the kingdom of God. And when you and I get involved in the life and in the work of God's kingdom, it's coming to earth. It comes to earth through you and me. And we're manifesting that presence. We're manifesting those good gifts into every space. So, so that not only are we receiving comfort, not only are we receiving help, we, we, we manifest it out to other people. This is the reciprocal nature of the kingdom of God. I don't know where I heard this, read this one time. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was reading in 2 Corinthians 2, and Paul said it this way. He goes, we as followers of Christ, we spread abroad the fragrance of the knowledge of the Son of God in every place. Isn't that a great phrase? So everywhere we go, hopefully, when we leave there, it smells a little bit more like Jesus. That's what Paul's literally saying. And I, I remember reading years ago, somebody wrote it and said, Christians are a lot like fertilizer. And if, and if you spread, them out, spread us out, we can do some good. And if we're all clumped together, we stink and we burn a hole in the ground. Uh, that was funnier at 9 o'clock. My, when my kids were growing up and we would take them on vacation and we would stop at places. We, we would go to Texas every year, so we had to come up with all these different ways to get to Texas and keep it fresh for the kids. And we would stop in these little towns, and we'd go looking around, and we'd window shop, and we'd look for ice cream places, and we'd do all this kind of stuff. And we began to notice, actually, our younger daughter began to notice that whenever we were together and we'd get out of the van and start walking around, we walked around in a clump everywhere we went, went until one day, finally, I think Shelly had enough of it, and she said, hey, locks, spread out. That was funnier at 9 o'clock, too. And, and so, you know, this is kind of the idea. Paul is saying we spread abroad the fragrance of the knowledge of the Son of God in every place. So here's the thing. So this weekend, I want to focus on one aspect of how we do that, that I think if we participate, if we would agree to participate in this, it'll change your life, and it can change the circumstances and maybe the lives of people around you. And to do that again, um, what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus again on the parable that I read to you two weeks ago, if you were here, the most famous parable I think that Jesus ever spoke. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, and only uh, we find it only in the Gospel of Luke. And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus gives us a, an interesting idea of what is important to him. And so what I want to do, uh, again, is I want to take us back to that space. I brought my chair out. I'm going to read to you the parable again, and we're going to focus on it. This is Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. So it says, on one occasion, uh, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's, that's the question, right? Really, for many of us. Well, what is... 
written in the law, Jesus replied, so how do you read it? And he responded. And the man said it this way. He said, "Um, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, when he answered that, Jesus said, so you have answered correctly, he replied, do this and you'll live. But now, watch this, wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, so who's my neighbor? And that's the question. And so Jesus, realizing this is a test question, remember I was sharing before that there were over 183 questions that Jesus has asked in the gospel. He only directly answers three. Every other time he tells a story. And so Jesus tells a story wanting to justify himself. That he asks, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus says, so a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away and they left him there half dead. Now, a priest happening to be going down the road, the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. And so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, he also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And then when he took pity, then he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine. And and then he took the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him there. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. And the expert of the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In many ways, right, in our culture, these are the important questions of our day. We are living in a world right now that is um, filled with a lot of anxiety filled with a lot of brokenness, filled with a lot of anger. And I think the more these things are on display in our culture, the more we experience a tension within our own minds and within our own hearts to kind of, I don't know, check out. And I find more and more that this is a challenge in our society and in our day. And to be honest with you, as a pastor, as a a man who's given his life to helping people understand the scriptures as I'm learning to understand the scriptures, God doesn't really allow us to check out. And a couple of weeks ago, when we looked at this story, we, we focused on some interesting things. This story only happens in the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a a Gentile, and he wrote with a perspective to help Gentiles come to understand this Jewish Jesus was actually the Messiah. And what's interesting about this story that Jesus tells, and I want you to think about this, it's an apocryphal story. 
Here's what I mean by that. It probably wasn't true. It was a story Jesus made up. And, and sometimes when I, when, I, when I share that, when I, when I say that, sometimes people are a little confused by that. I mean, wasn't, wasn't, Jesus, wasn't everything Jesus said real? And we would, we would know that, that sometimes Jesus would create stories to point to a thing. And here's what I would tell you. Because it's, we believe, apocryphal, it's Jesus' story. And Jesus is creating a story to point to what is important to his heavenly father. So see, in a way, right, this would make us lean in because this is Jesus sort of signaling to us what is really important to God. And we learned a couple weeks ago that I, I took you as far in the story as I wanted to take you on that day. And in that day, two weeks ago, we really essentially just answered the question, who's, who's my neighbor? And I said to you, all of us have a posture in the way we're living our lives. And, and this story is, is representative of that posture. Some of us live with a posture that simply says this, nobody's our neighbor. And those are like the thieves and the robbers in the story. And if you were with me two weeks ago, this is what I said. We live with this mantra for, you know, we, we don't have a neighbor and, and, and we live like this. What's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. Some people live that way. They're just takers. You probably run into people like that. Every, you know, we have people like that, right? The phone rings and you go, you kind of go, oh, it's them. It's always something, right? But, but, but that's really, in a way, I think the smallest percentage of people live in that category. I shared with you a category up, which I think most of us live at. It's the category that says this, I'm my own neighbor. And if you live in that category, you'll see it right there. That category lives by this value. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. And I think that's really a challenge for us, is how do we live lives that um, are open that are moldable, that are open to the Spirit of God to be used by God in powerful ways. And that's the challenge. But, but God is actually asking us to live one more level up, and it's a level that sounds like this. Anybody in need can be my neighbor. And those who live there, you can see the category. We live by this idea. What's mine is God's and I'll share it. There's something really powerful when people begin to catch a vision of what it looks like to live their life with an open posture to the Spirit of God. Now, the question I want to address today, though, is how do you do that? Uh, and, and two weeks ago, really what I shared is... Um, this might be the most dangerous thing in your house. Because um, think with me about this. There used to be a day when all of the you know, sadness or all of the poverty or all of the challenge that you saw was what you personally experienced. There was a day when all of the medical emergency or the difficult diagnosis that you become aware of 
You only know it through either yourself or your family or your friends. I I still have a vivid memory of when I was a little boy, and my parents had a rhythm that when we would eat dinner at night, we would pray. I have very early memories of that. And I can remember one night that my, I think it was my father that prayed, and he prayed over the meal, and he prayed for our neighbors across the street, who I knew as a little boy. And we had learned her name was Linda, and Linda was very, very sick. It was the first time I had ever heard the word cancer. And I can remember that uh, almost then every night when we would uh, have our meal together and my mom or dad would pray, or if they'd ask my brothers or me to pray, they would say, and pray for Linda. And we'd pray for Linda. And I remember one time my mom cooking a meal and asking me to come across the street and help her deliver that meal to our neighbor's home. And when we rang the doorbell and Miss Linda opened the door, she had no hair. And it was the first time I learned about somebody being very, very sick. But there was a day, right, when that was, that was all you experienced. Maybe if there was a, a neighborhood tragedy or a, or a tragedy that happened in a community setting, like, you know, what happened recently with a guy driving into a group of teenagers waiting at a bus stop. We, we only knew it because it was around us, but, but, but that's not the day we live in anymore. And you and I with our phones, we have instant access to every sordid, difficult, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching scenario that comes at us 24-7 every single day. And if we're not careful, what we can do is we, we can build a life that just sees that stuff and we just start tuning it all out. And here's the tension. As followers of Christ, God is wanting more of our lives than that. And, and, and so the challenge is, you know, Lord, quite honestly, I mean, how do I, how do I see all the things that are happening in my world? And I mean, how do I respond to that? How can I, how can I be engaged? There's so many. I mean, where would I ever give all of my attention? And that's why I think embedded in this story is a very, very powerful principle I want to reveal to you. I first read it several years ago, and it kind of goes like this. I want to show you the principle. Do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. That's the principle. And and we see it on display in this parable. We, We see the priest, we see the Levite, We see the robbers, we see the thieves, and then we see a Samaritan. And somehow, when I read the story, it kind of comes to me that the Samaritan had somehow latched upon this principle. My sense would be, even back then, lots of needs going on, but here it is. He's going to go all in around a certain need. And what I want you to notice is he doesn't check his heart. He stays engaged. Because here's what I want you to know. Your emotion has to go somewhere. We've been created as emotional beings. And we we can't as easily turn off the world like we think we can. In fact, I had a couple visual reminders of that in the last seven days. One of them, a global thing that we're still talking about. How many of you all remember the slap that was heard? around the world, right? Wow. All I can tell you 
something going on there, right? I was uh, recently in Home Depot. I was returning stuff. I return a lot of stuff. <laughs> and there was a guy in front of me that was returning something. And, you know, they, you wait in line and they go, next. And he went down to do his deal. And I was sort of waiting my turn, you know, and I don't know what he was returning. And it was kind of a mess. And the, 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 the associate there was just asking simple questions about it. And, and it just got elevated really fast. You ever seen that? And I just wanted to, I, I wanted to go all Will Smith on him, but I thought <laughs> that's probably not the right response. He was a little bigger than me, but it was, it was still like, man, like chill out. So your emotion has to go somewhere. And what I notice at the parable of the Good Samaritan, here's what I want you to notice. First of all, this, right? His heart was engaged. It says he saw the situation, says it very clearly, and he saw him and he took pity on the man. Now, pity is a word that sometimes is um, negatively used in our culture, but here's actually what the word pity means. It means to bestow compassion upon it's to look with a tender heart. And, and here's what I want you to know as, as a follower of God. This is normally the way God nudges his people through our heart. And so if you back your heart out of the equation long enough, you lose your ability to hear God's voice. And you begin to lose sight of him because you're not open. I remember when I first learned this years ago when I was uh, in the ordination process to become ordained as a minister. I had to participate. Sometimes I share these stories about in, in, in a thing called clinical pastoral education. And I had to spend a semester at a critical care hospital as a pastor becoming familiar with people who are going through difficult moments in their life, sometimes the loss of a loved one. And I would go over there. I was a, I was a young man. Beth and I were newly married, so I was a newlywed. And I'd, I'd go over there on, on a Thursday afternoon at 5 o'clock. And from 5 to 9, I would walk the floor of this imposing, intimidating hospital. And I had a list of people that were going to have a surgery. And I would knock on the door and introduce myself as a chaplain, see if I could pray for them about the surgery. It was this, all this kind of experience. And then from 9 o'clock till the next morning, I had to spend the night there, and I'd carry the beeper. If the beeper went off, it normally meant somebody died. But one night I was walking the floor, working through my list, and I knocked on the door, and I heard this muffled sound uh, from inside the room of a guy. I thought he was saying, come in. So, you know, as a hospital room, you check twice on that. And I knocked on the door again, and I heard it, and he said, come in. Didn't sound quite right. And I pushed on the door to come in, and the door opened in a way that it opened. I could see his feet, then see his body, then see his chest, then see his face. And when the door opened all the way that I could see his face, half of his face was gone. He had one eye. He didn't have an ear. He didn't have a nose. And his forehead was indented in this way. It's almost like he didn't have a forehead. And, and I, I can remember looking at him, 
and feeling instantly like I want to keep looking at him and how am I not reviled by what I'm looking at right now? Maybe you've been in that situation. And I got to know him in that encounter. His name was Randall, and Randall went on to explain to me. He said, I'm, I'm here for surgery. And he said, this is my, I think he said, this is like my ninth or tenth surgery. I'm going to have many. They're rebuilding my forehead. And he's talking through this unique way that he's talking. And, and I, I just stumbled the words out. I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, he said, um, I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I was running around on my wife. And uh, she told me to, she would often cry and tell me to quit drinking and come home, and I didn't. And he said, one night I was coming home, it was about two or three in the morning, and I was coming back to our little trailer house, and she had crawled underneath the staircase to the trailer house with a shotgun. And when I stepped on the second step, she caught me right here and blew off half my face. And he went on to explain that um, when that happened, he said, to be honest, I don't know what you believe. I can tell you my experience. He said, I died, went to hell. And right when I thought I was going to stay, there was this force that pulled me back into the operating room. And and I came back to earth. And he said, as quick as I could, that's what he said, I gave my life to Christ. And he said, I'm so sorry for what I've done but God is rebuilding my life. And I can remember having such pity on this man. And I have to be honest with you, to this day, I I don't open a door at a hospital that I don't think of that. And it was just a reminder to me as a young wannabe preacher that God nudges human hearts through our compassion that we have on other people. I got to just tell you this real quick. At at the end of my encounter, I asked him, I said, uh, well, I want to pray for you tomorrow, Randall. Is that okay? And I'm trying to keep it together, you know. And I grabbed his hand and I started to pray and I felt this motion and, and, and I opened my eyes, and Randall was crawling out of the bed to get on his knees. And as quick as a flash, I got on my knees. And, and I've never opened a hospital room the same way again. This is how God talks to his people. So you got to keep your heart engaged. But how do we do it in a sea of needs all around us. And here's the principle. You do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. And that and that's what the Samaritan did. You'll notice he went long. He didn't just he didn't just try to do a handoff. He got engaged. He went long after it. Said it he took a moment to bandage his wounds and offered him wine as a way to make him feel better. He he went, he went long, he went deep. He continued to be engaged. He, he put him on the donkey, took him to an inn. He went time. I noticed that verse, I'm super challenged, the verse, verse 35, the next 
day. He didn't drop off. He stayed in it. And then lastly, I want to I say this, right? He went money. Hey, here's, here I'm going to pay the innkeeper. Here's some on, on layaway, right? I'll come tomorrow. I'll, I'll give you more if you need more. You know, I, I've read somewhere that the last thing that ever gets saved is our wallet. I wonder if every one of us in here thought of a need right now. Might be your next door neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone in this church. Maybe it's someone you know. And, and, and you just said unto the Lord, you know, Lord, I can't, I can't meet all the needs, but I can meet this need. And I believe with all my heart, y'all, if we did that, it would change the climate of our community. So I want to do something uh, as we close our service out. I want to pray for us, and I'm going to pray that God uh, is going to nudge you, and he's going to point out to you a place where you can manifest his compassion in the circle where he has you. And if you'd like to participate in that, maybe we would just, as a sign of surrender, just kind of open our hearts and our hands like this. Uh, Lord, we are your people. Uh, We are in this place. And I believe you have a divine assignment for us. And so by the power of your Holy Spirit, oh God, I pray that you would nudge our community, that you would nudge the people who are here listening online or in the room, Uh, that, Lord God, there might be a situation or circumstance around us in our own circumference that you would invite us on invitation from you to be willing to go deep and long in time and money. And that, God, we might be your hands and your feet and that might we, through this exercise, learn that this is the way You get your work done, and this is the way you talk to your people. So we're ready to receive from you, and we ask that you do that in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. So be it. Go in his grace. Go in his mercy. We'll see you next week.